Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Well, you may be seated. Open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. You can find my notes and our faith app, which is transforming to the Faith Plus app. On January 1st, we are at 12 noon, we're launching our own 24-7 TV network. Amen? And so if you already have that Faith app, it'll transform by itself. You don't have to download another app, but you go ahead and get it on Apple TV or Roku or Amazon Fire, however you watch digital television, you'll be able to download that as well. So 1 John, chapter 1, tonight we're talking about partners, how you can be a partner with God. Partners. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. Notice how John begins his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So notice what John's saying here. He is giving you his experience. He says, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I felt. This is what I experienced. Of course, he's talking about his time with Jesus. So remember John, the disciple. He was one of the, according to different, as you study it out, he was probably the youngest disciple. Some commentators say he was a teenager when he was called by Jesus to be an apostle. So while Peter was the oldest, John was the youngest. And so John is giving an account of his three years with Jesus. He's summing it up. He says, in the three, a little bit over three years I was with him, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what I experienced. No, I didn't. This is not secondhand information. Someone didn't come along and tell me the story. I was there. This is what I experienced. Notice how he identifies Jesus here. The word of life. He calls Jesus, we know in John chapter 1 calls him the Word, but here he refers to him as the Word of life. Now, this word life here means the fullness of life. It is life as God has it. This is the life that flows from God. It is the life that the Father has in himself and that which he gave to Jesus to have in himself. You know, John 25 and 26, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that he hears shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given the Son to have life in himself. So we're not just talking about general life or the word of being alive. This is the word of the life of God. This is the word of life the way God has it. So when you see that phrase, get a pause and think, how does God have life? It's victorious. It's healthy. It's full of wisdom. It's full of love. 
it's wealthy, it's overcoming. God doesn't have depressing life. He doesn't have sick life. He doesn't have hateful life. He doesn't have a broke life. So he's talking about life as God has it. Jesus, the word of life as the Father has it. Verse 2, for this life, the life of God, the life as the Father has it, was manifested, which means made visible, appeared, or made known. So remember, John is a Jew. And so he grew up being taught the law and hearing about the Father. But when Jesus came, he said, I saw life the same way the Father has it. So Jesus showed up and showed him something none of the teachers of the law could. And we have seen it. He's telling you again, I saw it. We bear witness. This is what we're testifying of. Jesus called them to be witnesses of his life and his resurrection. He says, I'm bearing witness of this life that I saw. Not general being alive, but life as the Father has it. And I show unto you, that word show means to announce. I'm announcing to you, I'm declaring to you, I'm making known to you, I'm reporting to you this eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Notice these two verses, John is tripping over. This is the same life God has. This is life as God has it. We saw it. And so that's what I'm telling you about. You might think, well, John is so excited about this life, he must be writing this right after Jesus ascended to heaven. No. John is writing this some 50 to 60-something years later. See, John is the apostle who lives the longest. All the other apostles have gone to heaven. John is still alive. He's writing this in the 8080s or the 8090s. Jesus sent it around 8030. He is still excited. He is still just tripping over the life as God has it, that I saw for three years. Here's excitement. That which we have seen and heard, he goes again, I saw it, I heard it. I declare unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. Now, what he's talking about fellowship here, he's not talking about hanging out. He's not talking about going to eat after church. He's not talking about that type of fellowship. This word fellowship here means partnership. So when we look at the word fellowship tonight, I want you to think partnership. He says, I'm telling you these things that you may have partnership with us or be partners with us. And truly our partnership or we are partners with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John says, I'm writing all these things that I heard, what I saw, what I experienced, what I'm still excited about. Fifty some odd years later, I'm writing to you so that you can be a partner with God just like I'm a partner with God. Now you got to think John, who had the revelation of how much God loved him. How much Jesus loved him. He went around saying, I am the disciple Jesus loved. You know, when the Lord allows you to write a gospel, look how he identified himself. The disciple that Jesus loved. He named everybody else. Well, there was Peter, there was Thomas, and then there was the disciple that Jesus loved. John had this revelation. This is not just something he grew in over the decades, even though he did grow in it. He had this revelation even as he was this teenage apostle. Why? Remember at the Last Supper? When they were saying, Jesus, someone's going to betray me? 
Everybody's like, well, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Peter motions to John, read the gospel accounts. John, you ask him. So even Peter knew if John asked, Jesus is going to tell him. So Peter had confidence. Yeah, we know Jesus loves us to do. And so John does. He asks, and guess what Jesus does? He tells him. John had this revelation, God loves me. Because he loves me, he'll tell me things. So the one who knew how much God loved him said, hey, be a partner with God just like I'm a partner with God. To where he got the inside information. He got the inside scoop. He is, how many think, the apostle John, that's a partner with God? And now he's writing, you can be a partner with God just like I'm a partner with God. Imagine the excitement in him as he's writing this. And these things. So also, in addition for you being a partner, I'm writing these things unto you that your joy may be full. So not only will you be a partner, you'll be full of joy. Verse 5, so he brings it in to here. This, imagine trumpets or drum roll or something building up the anticipation. This is the message. You know what's interesting? I looked at that word message. It's only translated message once in the New Testament. Other time, it means announcement or promise. This is the announced promise we heard from Jesus. And this is what I declare on you. So that which I saw, that which I heard, that which I experienced for over three years, let me sum up the promise Jesus kept telling us. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So this is a new message to John and the disciples. Obviously, they didn't hear this before. For all the teachers of the law, all the rabbis, all the scholars, all the lawyers, no one ever said God is light. No one ever emphasized that. They knew about the curse of the law. They knew what happened if you broke the law. They knew all these things, but they didn't know. The Father is light. And it says Jesus walked the earth as the expression of the life as the Father has it. And as he expressed light as the Father has it for over three years, John got this message. The Father is light. I see the life coming through his Son. The Father is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Not even a little bit. See, what it talks about light here is talking about the nature of God, his character. The nature of God, the character of God is light. There's no darkness in him. There's no sickness in him. There's no disease in him. There's no cancer in him. There's no diabetes in him. There's no poverty in him. He is light. This is what he saw. This is what Jesus shared with them again and again and again. And see, some of it is, is in the Old Testament. But it's not what people majored on. See, Psalms 84, verse 10, you can look at it with me. Psalm 84, verse 10. 
For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. See, David, the psalmist has this revelation. One day in the presence of God is better a thousand anywhere else. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Instead of being the best place with the wicked, I'd rather be the person that opens the door and says, come on in. David understands something here. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. So the Lord God is a bright light. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. No good thing. No good thing. Will he withhold from them that walk uprightly? So what is the psalmist saying? If you walk uprightly, if it's good, he won't hold it back from you. Why? He's light. And in him there's no darkness at all. Oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in thee. I guess so because he doesn't hold back any good gifts. Reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man, or don't let nobody say this, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away according to of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it's finished brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. How would you err by thinking that God is the source of your trouble? You would err thinking that God is your problem. You would err thinking that God has darkness in him. You would think it is God, you would err if you think it's God making your life jacked up. So do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift. See, the word gift here means it points to a picture of continuous. It's habitual. It's not just one gift. It's a flowing of gifts. God's habit is giving good and perfect gifts. It's his nature because he's light. The word good here means improving, enhancing, or upgrading. Improving, enhancing, or upgrading. The word perfect means completing or perfecting. So if it comes from God, it adds to us. If it comes from God, it completes us. If it comes from God, it upgrades us. If it comes from God, it finishes us. Why? He is light. And comes down from the Father of lights. See, come up down here means a downpour or a thunder shower. We're very familiar with those in Georgia. Because it can start light, but if you're out there long enough, 30 seconds, you're going to be soaked. It's a downpour. So what I'm saying, God sends gifts like a downpour. Every gift God gives is good, and it is his habit to send good gifts like a heavy downpour of rain. Why? He's light. Notice what James goes on and says, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's not going to change. There's not even the shadow of him changing his mind. So don't err and think in God is darkness. No, my brother and sister, he is light. 
and there's no darkness in him at all. And he sends good, perfecting, upgrading, completing gifts like a downpour on a regular basis. That's his habit because he is light. That's his nature. That's who he is. So let's go back to 1 John. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So for three, over three years, this is what Jesus shared, taught, and demonstrated. Because remember, they, a lot of that time they traveled with him. They lived with him. They saw how Jesus operated. And this is what John picked up on, God is light. I saw this life Jesus manifesting. He manifests life and people are healed. He manifests life, people are delivered and set free. He manifests life, no demons can stand in his presence. He manifests life and provision supernaturally comes. He manifests life and people begin to understand God better than they ever saw him before. As he manifests the life as the Father has it. See, why is this important for our joy being full? And why is this important to be a partner with God? When you know this is God's nature, that he is light, that he sends good upgrading, completing gifts like a downpour on a regular basis, you can rejoice and be filled with joy. Why? He's like, well, I had a bad day, but my God is light. He sends good gifts on a regular basis. He sends upgrading gifts on a regular basis. It's coming like a downpour. It may seem bad right now, but when these gifts hit, so that means I can rejoice no matter what the circumstances. That's how I rejoice in every situation and circumstance. Not because of every situation and circumstance. I rejoice in it. Because Paul says, when I glory in it or when I rejoice in it, then the power of Christ, the grace of God, comes upon me. And with that power, I can handle anything. So you rejoice in the fact that your God is good, that he is light. And as you rejoice, his power comes on you. And no matter what darkness you try to do, you can throw it off. And as you throw it off, you receive good. Notice how when you throw it off, now your arms are open to receive good. Who, wanted to par- who wouldn't want to partner with a senior partner like this? Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship or we're partners with him and walk in darkness, this word walk means to live, to con- conduct one's life, to regulate one's life. So if you live in darkness or you regulate your life according to the darkness and you say that you partner with God, You lie, and you do not the truth. Notice he didn't say you're going to hell. Notice he didn't say you're not going to heaven. Notice he didn't say you're no longer saved. He just said you're not a partner with God. So that means you can be saved and not be God's partner. That also means you can be saved and partner with God one day and not the next. Or even take it further, you can partner with God for one moment and out the next. See, you can't just shout and rejoice, I'm God's partner. No, it's a little bit more than just rejoicing in the fact that you're God's partner. Because according to this, it's a daily decision. Walking is daily decisions, a lifestyle. Verse 7, 
But if we walk in the light, if we live in light, if we conduct our life according to the light, as he is in the light. So not what the culture says light is, not what entertainment the news says light is, but as God is in the light. So if we conduct ourselves according to the nature of God, who is light, we have partnership or we're partners with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when you walk with God, partnering with God, doing your best to follow with God, you will make mistakes. You may not even know you made the mistake, but as you're walking, the blood took care of it. You don't even know enough to repent of it yet. But while you were walking, the blood said, I got it. He said, the blood says, yes, you keep reading this book, the blood talks. The blood of Jesus has a voice, and it declares, not guilty. See, we can partner with God when we're living and conducting our life in the light. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So then people say, well, I can't go around saying I don't have sin. No, no, no. Who is the we he's talking about? Who is the we? Verse 6. The people walking in darkness. So if the people who are walking in darkness say they have no sin, they have deceived themselves. And the truth is not in them. So what are they supposed to do? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So who needs to confess their sins? Those living in darkness. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. He's like, oh, now, pastor, I can't go around saying I don't, I, I don't have sin. I haven't sinned. No, no, no. The people walking in darkness, verse 6, who say they do not sin, so they're lying. Notice who he's talking about. The verse 6 and verse 8 Christians. The ones who say that they're walking in darkness, while they're walking in darkness, they say they're not sinning. And John says, y'all liars. You're not partnering with God. Because they're saying we partner with God, we're working with God, but we're living in darkness. And you tell them, well, you're not partnering with God because you're living in darkness. And no, there's no sin in us. We, we're living the way we're supposed to. No, you're not. So let's settle that a little bit more. Verse 6. If we say that we partner with him and live in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say that we have no sin, those who walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so if we don't confess them and say we haven't sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. He's not talking about people are not saved. He's saying you're not walking with God. He didn't say you're no longer his child. He says you're not partnering with God. And you're lying. And you, by your lying, you're saying that Jesus is a liar. Well, if it's believing you or Jesus, I pick him. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. So notice John is now John the age. He's in his 80s. So imagine with all the love of his loving grandfather, he says, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So he said, don't sin, don't do it. But if any man sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins, or he took our place. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus paid for all the sins of the church, but he also paid for all the sins of the world. That's why you hear me say during the altar call, it's not your sins that sent you to hell. Why? Jesus already paid for it. The only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus or rejecting the propitiation, rejecting the atoning sacrifice. Because when we reject the atoning sacrifice, he said, Jesus, you didn't take my place. I refuse to receive that gift. Then the only other choice you have is to go to hell. So it's not people who say, well, you can go to sin for, you can go to hell for lying just like you could for stealing or sleeping around or doing drugs, all that. No, those things don't send people to hell. Jesus paid for all of those things. The only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. Because remember what John the Baptist says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we can keep his commandments. Now, I like how the Amplified Classic Version defines know him. And so this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know him, to perceive, recognize, understand, and become better acquainted with him. If we keep, bear in mind, observe, and practice his teachings, precepts, and commandments. So a lot of people can say, I know God. But John says, you don't know him as well as you think you do if you don't do what he says. If you don't live the book, you really don't know him like you think you do. Now, he didn't say you're not saved. He just says, you're not as, acquaint, as well acquainted with him as you think you are. Or you don't have as intimate relationship with him as you think you do. And to be an effective partner, you need to have a close relationship with the one you're partnered with. So we're still in the same mindset of partnering with God. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Anyone can sing songs, I love Jesus. Anybody can say that I love Jesus. Heathens can say I love Jesus. But Jesus, if you really love me, and this is how you show it, you actually do what I said. That's how you can tell those who love Jesus, they actually do what he said. Then in verse 20 it says, and that day you shall know that I am my Father, and you are me, and I in you. He that has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. And then Judas said unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, will come unto him, and will make our abode with him. He that loves me not keeps not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who has sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the commandments, the teachings, and the precepts of Jesus. So if you want to partner with God, you have to listen to the Holy Ghost. You might say, well, Pastor, this is impossible for me to memorize the entire New Testament. I didn't say you have to memorize the entire New Testament. I'm telling you, you need to follow the Holy Ghost. Because he'll bring up to your heart scriptures you didn't even know you knew. See, when you overrule the Holy Ghost, you can't be an effective partner with God. Because the Holy Ghost is God. 
he'll bring up to your mind. He'll bring up to your remembrance what Jesus had said. So when you go back to 1 John 2, verse 4, it says, He that says, I know him, remember, we just looked at what know him, perceive, I'm acquainted with him, I have a close relationship with him, and keeps not his commandments, is a liar. So he says, yep, I have a close relationship with Jesus. I'm a good partner with him. And you don't do what he says? You're a liar. John is just blunt by now. You know, have you ever met people who've got reached a certain point in their age and they just say it like it is? John is at that point. You is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoso keeps his word in him, verily there's a love of God perfected or matured. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So his word is the word of life. His word helps you walk in the light. We should live the way Jesus lived. Jesus' lifestyle was the expression of life as the Father has it. If we partner with God, we can express that same life. If we partner with God, we can express the same life that Jesus did that caused John to be wild for decades. Not a junior level of life, the same life. Why? We're partners. Verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. I like how the New Living Translation sets it up. It says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And you are also living it, for the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. Verse 9 says, He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. So now John is giving some more definition about what it is to be in darkness. And notice, context is key. Brother. Now, he's talking about the body of Christ. But you can't hate people and partner with God in general. You can't be a racist and partner with God. So y'all say amen to that, but you can't hate Donald Trump and be a partner with God either. You can't hate Nancy Pelosi and be a partner with God either. You can't hate billionaires and be a partner with God either. You can't hate immigrants and be a partner with God either. Hmm? He that says he is in the light and hates his brother, you especially can hate your brother and sister in Christ who's been washed by the same blood you have. As in darkness even to now, he that loves his brother abides in the light and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. See, you cannot partner with God and hate people at the same time. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 18. 
My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So don't just say you walk in love. Actually walk in love. Do it. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. So you walking in darkness, your heart will know you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And your own heart will check you. Your own heart will condemn you. And it's like, God's going to do it. Your own heart will like, dude, really? See, the New Living Translation says it this way. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we'll be confident when we stand before God. Even, when, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. Guilt messes up your confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him. And he with them. And we know he lives in us because of the spirit he, get, he gave us lives in us. See, in verse 24, it says, abide in the King James, which means to join in union or remain as one. See, as partners, we operate in union. We operate as one. Some of the old-time Pentecostals called a greater union with him. We're still talking about partnership. See, one of the things that just told me here says if we walk with him, we're doing his commandments. We're living the way that pleases him. We can ask for whatever we want and get it. We have that confidence. We can ask for anything. And God says, yeah, sure, why not? See, as partners, we can ask for what we want and receive it because we're partners with the one who habitually gives perfecting, completing, upgrading, beneficial gifts. As a partner, you have access to everything God has. As a partner, you have access to everything God has. I'll say it another way, another scriptural term. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Not a sub-heir. Not an heir that gets leftovers. Not heir junior. You are a joint heir. You have access you have more access than you know what to do with. That's why people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They have access to everything, but they don't know how to get it. You have more access than you know what to do with. You have more access than you even know what to ask for. See, this is one of the beautiful things about praying the Holy Ghost when we pray out mysteries. There are times when you're praying in tongues, you're making requests of a father for things you don't even know you should ask for. So when you take some more time praying in tongues, you start asking God for things, and you receive it by faith, and things show up in your life. Wow, where did that come from? The Holy Ghost says, well, you asked that about a couple years ago when you talked in tongues. See, John 14, 13, Jesus said, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Remember, we just said with the word abide meant. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. John 16, 23 and 24, And that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. 
Here too you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus gets asking. But when we look at John 15, 7, you know, you can look at it and say, well, asking of the Father and you shall receive. But also because it doesn't say the Father there in verse 7 or by implication, it means that word ask also means require. Now, do you, do you or make a demand? Now, do you demand God for anything? No. You, no. <laughs> no. But what do you put the demand on? The promises of God. Your covenant with God. And you demand the devil to do what the word of God says he must do when you use the authority of Jesus. You make a demand of the situation of your life to change. Hallelujah. Not a casual, well, life, I need you to line up the way I like it. Mr. Devil, would you please move if you feel like it today? No, no, no. You demand. You use your authority. See, next week I'm going to talk about stay seated. Because too many of you give up your seat of authority to the enemy. First John chapter 4, let's go there. We begin to bring this to a close. Tell my partnering with God. First John chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knows God. We are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So remember knowing you have an intimate, close relationship with. So there are some Christians who don't walk in love. They may be saved, but they don't have a close relationship with Jesus, which lets you know they are not partnering with him. So if you want to have a close relationship with Jesus and partner with him, you have to walk in love, which means you have to love God and love people. And this was manifested the love of God towards us. This is how the love of God was shown us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So we can live that same life we saw those three plus years because God sent Jesus. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, remember, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember, he took our place. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Skip down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love God has towards us. If you, have to be, if you want to be a good partner with God, you have to believe how much he loves you. And it's easier to believe he loves you when you know his nature that he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. When he knows nature, he's the one who gives good, upgrading, perfecting, completing, enhancing gifts. And he does it on a regular basis, and he sends it like a downpour. When he knows that's him, see, it's hard to love someone you think is going to zap you every time you make a mistake. You may reverence him, you may respect him, you may fear him, but you don't love him. It says we must believe the love God has towards us. You must know it. You must believe it. God is love. God is light. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. So you remain living in love. You're living in God and living in his nature and his ability and his power. Herein is our love made perfect, grown up and mature. 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We're not just talking about the last day, but every day. Because as he is, so are we now in this world, right now, not will be. So are we now. Now. You say, well, I thought that was in heaven. No, no, no. Chapter 3, verse 1 talked about later. This is, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So that's talking about what we will be. But right now, as he is, so are we in this world. will be even more when he shows up. But right now, as he is in the light, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, as he is glorified with all the glory that is, so are we in this world. Remember Jesus, while I'm here, I'm the light of the world. When I go, you're the light of the world. So you can preach Jesus is the light of the world, and it's true, but so are you. So if you say Jesus is the light of the world and don't think you have a responsibility to that, you've missed the point. You can't sing those old songs, this little light of mine. You know, if you really want to get on Bishop's nerves, sing that song around him. I was with him one time. He was, I think it was Las Vegas. It wasn't even the church that he pastored. But he says, don't let me ever come here and hear y'all sing that song. I'm like, he's giving orders to, okay, cool. And he said, that light is not some little candle. It's the glory of God. It's no little light. You don't, you're not some little light of the world. There's a little flicker. Just a match. Or an iPhone light that you just wave at a concert. No. You're the light of the world. Inside you is shining the very glory of God. The same glory that appeared when God said, let there be be light. That's who you are in this world. That's why Jesus said, don't hide your light. That's when he used the example, who will light a candle and hide it under a bucket? No, they take it so it can give light to the entire house. Now you got to think, that's not some small little candle. If it can light an entire house. So we're not talking about little lights. We're talking about the glory of God. You say, oh, the world is dark. We'll shine. Well, Jesus, I need you to shine. Jesus, I need you to shine. Because you're the salt of the earth. You. You're the light of the world. You. And the world will have more light the more we partner with God. As he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect, mature, grown-up love cast out or evicts flushes out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect or grown-up or mature in love. So to partner with God, we had to get rid of the fear. And how do we get rid of the fear? We believe how much God loves us and let that sink in so deep that it pushes out the fear. That because he is light and in him there's no darkness at all, and he sends good, upgrading, perfected, beneficial gifts like a downpour. Because that's who he is and he loves us, I have no room or time to fear. You say, well, what if something really bad shows up? What if it's really, really dark, really, really bad? But because of who your God is, 
All it is is like this little five-year-old who may ring your doorbell on Halloween with a mask on going, boo. You want to be scared of him? You'd be like, really? Yeah, okay. You want to be scared? That's how you have to treat anything life throws your way. Why would you be scared when you know your God? Blessed is the person who trusts in him. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God love his brother also. Verse 14 of chapter 5. Once again, John reiterates this. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, his word is his will. He hears us. Which lets you know he doesn't hear every prayer. See, it's nice and religious to say, well, God hears every prayer. No, he don't. No, sometimes we think of, uh, what was that, the movie, Bruce Almighty? And all of those prayers are coming like emails to him. God don't get all those prayers. He hears prayers that are according to his will. You're confident that if you prayed according to his will, he heard you. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If we asked according to his word, we got it. Why? He's light. He sends good and upgrading, perfecting gifts like a downpour on a regular basis. If you ask, you receive. Now you might say, well, pastor, I have asked for some stuff I haven't received. See, I like this quote I heard by Dad Hagen last week. It says, if you haven't received your healing, check your love walk. If you haven't received what you've been asking for God for, check your love walk. Are you walking in love? Or are you so angry at somebody? Have you still refused to forgive somebody? Are you mad at the Republicans? Are you mad at the Democrats? Are you mad at the independents? Are you mad at the media? Are you mad at the immigrants? Are you mad at the billionaires? Are you mad at the broke people running up your tax? Are you mad at somebody? You angry, you're in unforgiveness, but you say you partner with God. And you're trying to have the same confidence. And you ask God for things, and you just know on the inside something's not right. And that something is your unforgiveness because you're not walking in the light. So, what I do? Confess your sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There you go. You need to have this confidence. Verse 16 even goes, you can have such confidence that you can see a brother, talking about a brother in Christ, sinning, and they don't even know or they don't turn from their sins. But you can ask God, forgive them, help them, and he'll do it. He'll forgive it because you, a partner with God, asked. Then John goes on, just some, you know, some of you see it on the screen, he says, there's a sin unto death. He says, I don't tell you to pray for that. Now, majority of people do not send the sin unto death. Most people aren't even the category to send the sin unto death. What is that sin? The unpardonable sin. 
it's rejecting Jesus. It's knowing him, loving him, and not backsliding, but making a willful decision after you've matured in God, operated in the gifts of the Spirit, matured in the Word of God, and says, nope, I decide to live for the devil. John says, don't pray for that person. Just leave, leave it alone. But most people don't even qualify for that. And most people say, well, maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin because I made a mistake. If you even think that, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because people who committed it won't even think like that. It won't even occur to their conscience because they've seared their conscience. If you even have some type of concern, man, I've made a mistake. I want to get this right with God. You have not committed the unpardonable sin. There are very few people who did that. Very, very, very few. And those very few don't care that they've done it. The book of Hebrews talks about that very few. But see, the thing is, Satan will trick people into that. And there's a lot of people in insane asylums today because they believe they've done it, and Satan has used that to drive them crazy. If you even have the thought, maybe I've offended God, maybe I have not done what I'm supposed to do, maybe I've gone into the darkness, maybe I've sinned, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Not at all. So John is saying, you'll send someone, see someone else not doing that, and most of you probably would never meet somebody who's done that. But you see any brother or sister in Christ doing something not supposed to do, you can ask God to forgive them, and he'll do it. You can ask, and God, ask God, give them life. So why would you ask for life? Because the wages of sin is death. And it doesn't say God is the one who gives death. You sow the seed of sin, you reap a harvest of death. So what are you doing? You're taking the place of the intercessor. You're standing in between them and the harvest of their actions. He says, God, instead of letting this death come to them, which they sow the seed for, I ask that you give them life. And God will do it because you're his partner. See, God even did that with Abraham, praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham just stopped at 10 because he's like in two metro areas and all the surrounding suburbs, surrounding cities and villages. There got to be 10 righteous people. He was wrong. But he was God's friend, as it tells us in 2 Chronicles in the book of James. He was God's partner. Some of you are so concerned about your family, just become God's partner. And as a partner, talk to God about your family. Say, God, well, they're doing all these bad things. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, if you're a partner with God, there's so many people on this earth who are still alive because a great-grandmother was a partner with God. That you look at people and he's like, you know you've done. Like, how in the world are you still alive? Because you've smoked everything, shot up everything, drank everything, did everything possible, yet you are still ticking. Somebody in that bloodline called on Jesus, was a partner with God, and God has given them ample opportunity and more opportunity to repent. And see, some of you is like, well, I've partnered with God, and I prayed for someone, and it looks like they died in sin. It looks like they went to hell. Well, how do you know that? Did you watch the spirit descend? Well, no, pastor. They just didn't tell me they repented. Well, they didn't. They didn't. I was a kind of brother Copeland sharing the story of another general who was, he was on the platform at one of Dad Hagen's camp meetings, and the Holy Ghost hit him because he thought, Oh, he talked about someone who went to the church, but they refused God. They were atheists. They were proud atheists. They did a whole bunch of bad things, went to jail multiple times, did a whole bunch of bad things, and so did his family. 
and he just got a report right before the message that that young man had died in an accident. And so while he was thought he was about to do the altar call, he had a thought, oh, that poor man, that poor young man went to hell. And the Holy Ghost hit him, and he fell out on the ground in the middle of the altar call. So, you know, everybody in the stadium was looking like, um, what just happened here? You know, I've been to some meetings like that. You know, I was in a minister's conference, and the Holy Ghost hit Brother Copeland. He just fell out. No one was near him. Actually, he touched Bill Winston, and then he fell out. And we all kind of paused, like, what do we do now? The prophet's on the ground. Bill Winston's up there going, well. And we all going, well. And so in this situation, uh, this man of God, Brother Copeland, was telling the story was, he fell out. You know, Dad Hagen looked over and said, well, he's still breathing. He's fine, so just pray the Holy Ghost. And the Lord took that man to the last moments of that young man as he was dying. And he says, as he was drawing his last breath, I revealed myself to him. And he called on me. And he saved. And he said, because you didn't know he had a grandmother who loved me, who prayed. And so I did everything possible to give him one more opportunity. And he took it. So partner with God. God can do more than you think he can. Some of you get to heaven and say, whoa, how did you make it up here? I'm glad to see you, but whoo, that must have been close. Final seconds. Final milliseconds. But why are those opportunities granted? Somebody in that family partnered with God. Stop stressing over family members and backslidden children partner with God. So, well, pastor, when I show up, should I tell them about their sin? No. Only tell them about their sin if God tells you to tell them about their sin. If they have some type of witness in their heart, they know they're in sin. Doesn't mean you're the ones to tell them. You just say what God tells you to say. You just love them. You just smile, smile at them. If they're not saved, you treat them as a potential child of God. Thanksgiving is coming up. Just prepare yourself. They're probably going to be extra ratchet. <laughs> just extra. But instead of just acknowledging all the extras, treat them like a child of God. Say, oh, I'm just so glad to see you. Hey, did you go to church this weekend? They go blankly blank. No, I didn't go to church this weekend. Just checking. And then you know, one day they'll call you and say, you know, strangest thing happened. I went to church and I went down front and I started talking in a language I didn't understand. Yeah, I'm saved, and they said something about sanctified. I don't know what that means, but yeah. You prayed. To stand before God as his partner, remind God of his promises. Keep those people lifted to God. You're a partner. So walk in the light. Walk in love. And last thing, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols, amen. As a partner with God, keep yourself from things that would take the place of God. You can't partner with God well if you let things take his place. If we're going to partner with God, we have to walk in the light. We have to walk in love.
If you want to know how to walk in love in detail, look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 in the Amplified Classic Edition. Put your name where it says love. And if what you're thinking about doing or doing does not line up with that, repent and get back in love. We have to partner with God. Stop letting the politicians get you out of partnership with God. Stop letting the news media get you out of partnership with God. You partner with God. So, well, how's election going to turn out? How it turns out. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. But Jesus will still be on the throne. Partner with God. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So let's grow up in the things of God. Let's ride the wave of God's glory, the wave of God's grace. Let's keep in step with the Holy Ghost and flow with him. Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet. Oh, hallelujah. Father, we thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for granting us the opportunity to partner with you and with our Heavenly Father. Help us to walk in the light, Father. Help us to walk in love. Help us to walk and live in the Spirit so we can live even as Jesus lived and as he is right now. Manifest that in the world so we can express to this world life as you have it. I thank you for it, Father. And I give you all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.